Welcome to the Upside Down Podcast, where ordinary women have exhausted their belief in the up and down promises of culture and are here to share the sigh of relief they've found in the upside down kingdom of God, tackling topics personal to their individual stories. Some of my dearest friends join me, Andrea Lynn Chartier, to show how God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Cause I've gone up and I've gone down Exhausting belief in what seems renowned is true Hey friends, it is so great to have you here with us again today. I have the wonderful guest, Melissa DeBoer. Melissa and I know each other as Well, we've been family friends from church and camping together over the years. Our parents are really good friends. And, you know, we've been able to have really valuable friendships with one another's family. So that's our original context. But that has grown to becoming adult friends, which is wonderful to just be able to get to know her more in this season of life and kind of learning from her as more of a peer. I always looked up to her as you were in the older, you know, when we're in grade school, all these years seem like such a big deal. <laughs> but I can be your old mom friend. Yay! It's fine. <laughs> I feel like that's a little bit of a stretch. I'm really embracing and leaning into that you're, category. You're now, committing? So. Okay. I drive a minivan. So oh, that oh, it for us. that's it. Okay, we made it. That's really good to know. Okay, so yeah, so far out of reach of my current life experience. But uh, yeah, so the human that Melissa is, just to give a little bit more of an explanation and introduction, she is truthful and wise and insightful and really is refreshingly honest with herself and with others, which is something that I've always really appreciated appreciated about her and committed to keeping Christ the center in her own life and in her Christian community, which I have personally been blessed by and experienced. So I know that I have so much to learn from you, Melissa, and your your years of experience. <laughs> and My your elderly wisdom. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and your relationship with God. And so I'm so excited to be able to do that today. We are going to be talking about dependency. That's our theme for this conversation. We want to talk about dependence on others and on God and what that might look like in our lives and the importance of that or, yeah, just the relevance and what we want to pursue with regards to dependency. So, Melissa, I would just love it if you could give us a little bit of context for, yeah, your relationship with this topic and why it's something that you wanted to speak to today. Yeah, I would love to share. I do feel like, as we were talking about being being an elderly influence <laughs> in your life, dependency on God seems like something you should talk to an old person about. So yeah. um, for everyone else that doesn't know me, I'm approximately 29 years yeah. and counting. So yeah. <laughs> I'm not as old as I sound. I'm yeah. Sure. So in terms of dependency on God, I kind of picked this topic because I feel like there were just so many things when I thought back on my life in both daily small ways and big giant moments where I had experienced needing to both depend on God and experiencing God as dependable. I am a registered nurse and I went to nursing school right after high school. So I was 17 when I started. So I started like practicums with people when I was, I think, 18. Yeah, I think being young and like really suddenly exposed in a different way to the harsh realities of people's life and 
feeling the burden of responsibility to have to care for people in their vulnerable moments really made me feel like even though I was smart and had gone to school, that I was really ill-equipped to help people through the biggest, scariest, traumatic, emotionally difficult things in their life. Mm -hmm. And even though I was trained and prepared, it didn't like really delete the trauma piece, I think, of some of those nursing school experiences. And so I think overall, I just in my nursing career began to realize that like I was going to need a really big well to draw from Mm. if I was going to help people and actually have any sort of resiliency in my career as a nurse. Lots of nurses burn out in like their first year and I felt like old nurses that I encountered were often like really bitter and not nice people and I was like do I want to go into this profession Mm. like but I was really fortunate to have some really fantastic mentors and instructors and people along the way I went to Trinity Western University, which is a faith-based institution. Mm-hmm. And just, I feel like I got to encounter people that were living and walking out faith alongside their careers. And that made me want to find a way to merge those things of being more like Christ mm-hmm. in my work environment, even if obviously because of professionalism that often can't translate into like direct evangelism to patients, but just more in like how I carry myself. Mm-hmm. So... In terms of my career, I've been a nurse for, I guess, 10 years this year, which feels crazy. Yeah, that feels like quite the journey. I've worked in different provinces in a lot of different areas. I started my career as an ER nurse, and I worked in a trauma hospital in the Lower Mainland, which was really intense in their ICU step down and saw lots of really intense stuff. And... Then I moved to Alberta, which was a whole act of depending on God in itself with my husband. And we bought a house here, lived closer to family. And I now work in community care, specifically as a palliative nurse consultant. And so I think over the course of my career, regardless of the environment, it's just been a huge piece of dependency of asking the Holy Spirit daily to go before me and to walk Mm -hmm. beside me. And not only to go with me, but to move in the hearts of the people that I encounter and I think I increasingly find myself praying for sensitivity in those situations. And I find that when I am doing that actively, that I become much more aware of almost a different dimension of reality of what's happening in a room or just a different sensitivity. And often that actually, like, I think impacts sometimes my nursing care and the plan I might make for someone or just the way I might guide a conversation. Yeah. So I think it's been huge in my career. And then... I think also there's just the daily dependency on God in terms of my relationships, whether that be my marriage, my friendships, and now parenting. Mm -hmm. Probably the biggest, most dramatic moment of dependency for me was when we got pregnant with our oldest daughter, Olivia. Partway through the pregnancy, we found out I had an extra ultrasound for like a very benign reason just to double check something and it was at that extra ultrasound they happened to find out that something was wrong with the umbilical cord it like looked funny and we got sent urgently to foothills hospital in calgary that night which was very dramatic in itself and had to have lots of extra ultrasounds and testing and yeah i think having that fear of you're so excited about something and to know that like it could be over in an instant completely outside of your control and I wouldn't have even known and 
anyways, I had gone for this ultrasound where they had found something funny, but they obviously don't tell you at the test. And then my doctor had called me at home in the evening. And I know from being a nurse that if your doctor phones you after <laughs> hours in the evening about your test results, it's usually not a great thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so he told me that something was wrong and I needed to go straight, get my car and go straight to the labor and delivery unit. And there was a chance I was going to have this baby within like wow. hours. And I was only about 27 or 28 weeks pregnant. So I was quite early. Yeah. And so Kendrick, my husband was working. He works at the hospital. He's also a nurse. So I remember getting in the car and driving by myself very fast speeding, which is ironic because it was probably more dangerous than anything else. Um, <laughs> yeah. Driving like 145 kilometers down the road. And I remember just praying and I remember God, like probably the closest to audible voice of God I have ever heard in my life, just saying to me like, Melissa, this baby is mine and she was always mine and she was never yours, but she is such a gift and her days will be numbered by me. Mm-hmm. And I remember that being, that sense being so clear. And by the time I got up to the labor and delivery unit and whatever, I was kind of like laughing and joking with the nurses and making friends. And they were like, I remember one of the nurses commented, like, you're so calm. And mm-hmm. And I think that was only by the grace of God. And then, anyways, I had all these weekly ultrasounds. And a number of weeks later, during one of those, my weekly, like, they do non-stress tests to make sure the baby's heart rate is okay. It wasn't okay. And my husband was, again, sleeping after his night shift, so also not there with me. And uh, I was on my own, and I knew things weren't going well. And I started to call him and be like, I think that something's wrong with the baby. I think you should wake up and come. But he wasn't answering his phone and it all went chaotic very fast. I ended up with an emergency C-section still about five weeks early. So, and my husband slept through the whole thing. Um, (laughs) Just in bliss. I've since forgiven him for. Um, I was unconscious. Yeah, both of you were actually. (laughs) Yeah. And anyways, I think even in that, I remember sitting in the OR when they were getting ready to do the C-section and I was just swinging my legs on the side of the bed, probably out of nervousness, but they were all laughing at me because I, they said again, like, you seem so calm. Mm. This is unlike, and I was like, in my head, I was like, maybe I'm just in shock, but I think it really was a sense of peace from the Lord and a spiritual level of protection through that dependence. Our baby had to stay in NICU for a number of weeks. And I think a lot of people commented to me after, like, how traumatic was that? Was it awful? And I mean, there were definitely lots of hard things about it. But I I think that, again, in that dependence on God, I was saved from a lot of that trauma that may have been there. Because that message that I felt like I had heard from God of, like, her days being numbered and her belonging to him and it being a privilege to have her was so clear to me. And I've since had another daughter and I now find myself in this world of parenting and I'm balancing work and some education and I see that dependence on God being more of a, an every hour I need you as the song goes, sort of dependence Mm -hmm. on God of actually praying that prayer often of like, I just need you in this next hour and just really relying on God in a different way. So anyways, that's a little bit about me. Anything else you want to know? 
<laughs> no, I think that's really wonderful. I think it's really great to just have that context, right? And obviously, as we'll discuss more, dependency is not always in these big moments, right? It's it's the day-to-day things. And so I gave you a difficult task to be like, give me context of dependency in your life, right? So how does one exactly summarize that? But thank you so much for just pointing out some highlights. And I think... Melissa, like we joked about it, but I so value the insight that you have in the stage of life that you're in, in having had some time to go through different seasons of your career and in marriage and in parenting and the things that you can offer when it comes to the different aspects of dependency. So I think that no matter what life stage or age that our listeners are in, that there's something of value for us to learn from anyone. But I just thank you so much for wanting to share with your particular life experience. So why don't we start with identifying the messages within culture about dependency? And, you know, this could be regarding dependency on others or on God within the church, outside the church, etc. Just what notions do you think we're holding entering into this conversation? Yeah, I mean, this feels like a big, high-level conversation. I mean, I think just being in our Western individualistic world, we have this like huge, I think a lot of the dependency is really on self. Like, you know, we hear it in the, like, I have to do what's best for me. Like, it's all about my choices and like self-reliance and self-help. Like you just got to go deeper in yourself and it's in there. The power of positivity Mm. or... I don't know, like, I think there's all this pop psychology and self-help, and it's not to say that there aren't good things and good nuggets to take out of that. I think we're a culture that's, like, very instantaneous and efficient and effective, and what's most important is that we're, like, these autonomous, effective superhumans, and Mm. if we just take control of our own lives, we can achieve the happiness we all crave. I don't know, I think there's this huge sense of, like, Even if you think back to, like, biblically, you know, you think about, like, the sin of Adam and Eve when they eat the fruit of, like, defining knowledge of good and evil. I think that there's this idea that now we get to define good and evil for ourselves. Our identities are self-defined. Our morals are self-defined. Like, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. Or who are you to tell me? Or cancel culture. Whatever. You do you. Whatever you want to say. Like, I think there's so much individualism and dependence on self and not on others or not on God. Mm. And I think we get this out of our own privilege, right? Like we, Mm. most of us in a Western context have huge access to resource by and large, greater than most of the world, like more money, wealth, power in all kinds of ways we don't even always recognize. Yeah. Like it's a luxury to be independent, to live out like an independent lifestyle that has such privilege associated with it. That's a good point. Yeah. And anything less than that is somehow seen as like, I think dependence often gets this value placed on it of weakness Mm -hmm. that like to be dependent on someone else is to be weak. And I think that's a huge misnomer. And I think it's certainly not biblical, but I think in general, like we just have such a limited need often in our day-to-day society slash life to rely and depend on God for physical day-to-day needs. I mean, I do think COVID has maybe hopefully awoken and adjusted some of that, but I still think by and large the cultural cloud, I don't know what you want to call it, is looming so large. It's really hard to fight the culture of like, I just have to be enough and I'm good enough and 
uh, if I just bootstrap and pull harder, it'll all work out. So I think for me, that's the cultural thing that I think about. Like dependence isn't really like a cultural value in any way. It's not seen as a positive thing. And when it comes to like parenting, I mean, I'm not a parenting expert. I only have toddlers, but I just think that's a crushing amount of pressure. This idea that you have to find it within yourself to be all the things your children need. Like (laughs) that's crushing. And I don't know. And even, I mean, I'm not a psychologist and all the latest parenting methods and I try not to like subscribe to all of those podcasts because I find them very pressuring. But I feel like there's this sense that you need to be this calm, patient, present, available, consistent parent Mm -hmm. all the time. And you should be giving your child every possible opportunity in the world available to learn and grow and be exposed while always keeping them feeling safe and secure (laughs) emotionally and mentally and physically and doing what's best for them often at great sacrifice to yourself but totally not neglecting yourself and it's this weird dichotomy that i i don't know i Mm. think it just feels so whatever parenting we're trying to achieve i actually think a podcast that was do was talking about how parenting actually only evolved as a word in the 1970s like it's a fairly recent concept that people even thought about parenting like actually prior to that people just had kids (laughs) I think it's really funny to think yeah. about because, like, actually for, like, thousands of years, people have had children and, I don't know, it's been okay. And I, yeah. <laughs> I think, like, we spend a lot of time obsessing about our parenting and I, I don't know that it's doing anything good for us all the time. Yeah. yeah. So I think those, for me, when I think about that self stuff and then it comes into, like, my parenting, right. I think, too, sometimes about, like, I need to be a certain way to be a good parent, whatever that means. And then I think we do have influences in the church culture. I kind of alluded to that about like not being able to depend on God. I was raised in Southern Alberta and now I live here again. And actually in our church, we were recently talking about how like being in a evangelical Protestant church with like Protestant work ethic background, if you know any like mm-hmm. church history or theology, and then also being in like Southern Alberta agricultural (laughs) hard work background like it really doesn't help our self-reliance issues um yeah that's a really good way to say it (laughs) we have made often we make church about a combination of like service and self-sacrifice and those kinds of things as being like spiritually valuable and what god wants of you and so i think sometimes that messaging actually has a christianized lens of really what the world is sometimes also saying of like, well, we should have it within ourselves to do all these things. And I think the church really tries to be community. And I think one of the beauties of church is that it often is a place of community. And again, obviously COVID has shifted a lot of that, but I think COVID really pointed out reasons that we do need to belong to one another and what it might mean to actually depend on people and maybe how much we did depend on people when we were like maybe more isolated from them. Mm. So I think we have a lot of learning to do even within the church about what it means to depend on people and how to do it again, even after you might be let down by someone in the church and what it means to journey with someone for the long haul. I recently led a course at our church equipping people to care for those who might be experiencing mental illness or challenges. Mm -hmm. And one of the takeaways in our group discussion with other people from the church across demographics was just that 
churches are often really good at meeting short-term needs, like bringing casseroles, like bringing meals to people, doing a prayer night or like those kinds of things. And we're often really good at the immediate crisis, but what would it mean for someone to depend on us as a church or as a community, like long-term with Mm -hmm. chronic illness or chronic mental health challenge or just chronic poverty in some way, whether that be like a relational poverty or emotional poverty or that kind of thing. And so I think we have a lot to learn in the church about what it means to be dependent on both others Mm. and on God. And I think, I hope that we're more likely, I hope the church is going to learn it first because I don't necessarily see the society learning it anytime soon. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny because I also, you know, grew up in Southern Alberta, just the social environment of, like you said, this kind of work ethic and self-reliance, but then also within the church, this, we need others to be able to rely on us in the sense that I want to serve, I want to give, but it's kind of this twofold where it's like struggling to actually depend on others, but really thinking it's important that other people can depend on you, right? And so how do you make that space to be dependent on others yourself? It's just kind of that, like, this doesn't apply to me, but it's important for me to live this out for others, which is something that I think has subconsciously been in my own understanding of dependency a bit, right? It's like, well, I'm equipped to help other people, but actually there's such a mutuality to this need And yeah, I mean, we're already wanting to kind of address this and delve into a little bit more of what you actually think about these beliefs. But it is so valuable to first recognize these preconceived notions or influences so that we can then move to evaluate them. And so how would you assess these cultural ideas of dependency? Yeah, I guess maybe through the lens of my work as a nurse... I think that having a career where I interact with vulnerable people in vulnerable moments daily, it's such a daily reminder that even the most self-made people in the world aren't invulnerable. And so all of that whole thing about like it making you happy and all of that working, like it can come crashing down in such an instant. And even Mm -hmm. in my own experience with like Olivia, my daughter, like when we found out something was wrong with her, like all of your expectations can switch in just a moment. And in a way that you can't look within yourself necessarily to change the outcome. And I think in my career too, I see this huge fight within people about not wanting to be a burden when illness strikes and not wanting to have to depend on others. And I I think it's because our society doesn't value Mm. it or see that as noble or honorable in any way which I think is a huge loss when you look at other cultures and across history like even how they treat elderly or even how like the medical profession is viewed in other cultures is sometimes more positive because it's seen as like a noble profession and in some places there's it really seen as a mutuality between like even a health practitioner and a patient kind of like you were talking about a moment ago that we actually have something to give to one another when we can Mm -hmm. be vulnerable and belong to one another And for myself, I know people, like, when they're like, oh, you're a palliative nurse consultant? Like, what does that even mean? (laughs) Does that mean you just take care of dying people? And and I mean, that is part of what I do, but it's certainly not all of what I do. But I think by and large, when I look across my whole career and the hundreds and probably thousands of people I've come to interact with, like, it is such an honor and privilege to intersect someone's story and to get to care for them 
whether it's in a small way or in a really large way. And I mm-hmm. think there's a difficulty both in caregiving and being cared for, but I think that our society could stand to learn a lot about the beauty and richness that comes out of dependency. And I think for myself, I want to hope that as a nurse, when I think about the fact that like my patients are in a vulnerable position and, you know, we talk often actually in school and in theory about sometimes the power position of being the nurse, right? Because the patient Mm -hmm. is more vulnerable than you. But I think in that idea of dependency of like, recognizing that like I don't necessarily have all the tools to completely fix and heal this situation I think when I'm able to recognize that then it also places me in that place of dependency and then I can meet hopefully my patient on a more even playing field if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so that's at least through my work that's kind of how I think about I guess those ideas of western individualism is like ultimately it just doesn't really work and and, you know I think On that, because I have a chronic illness, and when that first started for me, I think knowing that being someone that others can depend on is obviously a blessing and you're able to grow and learn and and all of those things, but also being the person who has had to and continues to need to depend on people more than I ever expected to, knowing that that is actually something that's shaping me to be more (laughs) Christ-like, and it's something that is such a gift to be able to trust other humans in that. Mm. I haven't been in a palliative situation, but in a chronic illness, that's just speaking towards physical in my experience, but obviously mental illness, anything else that, you know, you've already spoken to that has consistent need. There is this beauty in intimacy between both the depender and the dependee. You know, and I've learned that a ton in my own marriage. Like I came in thinking, I'm so dependent on Connor. And then realizing, like, there are so many things that Connor depends on me for. Just because I'm sick doesn't mean that I can't offer that. And I imagine you'd have to experience that a ton in your nursing experience of, like, stereotypically, they're depending on me for something. But there is that, like we said, mutuality and something that they are offering you that can be so empowering for somebody who is buying into those lies from culture that it's a terrible thing to be dependent on you, right? To kind of give that gift back and forth can be so life-giving. I think, too, our society loves, like, we love categories and labels. Right? <laughs> like, even when you think about dependee or depender, like, right. which are you? Yeah. And I think, even in my profession in palliative care, like, do you take care of dying people? And I said, well, until you're dead, you're really living, right? Mm. So while we're always dying, we are also living until the moment we die, right? And so we're always doing both. Yeah. And I think hopefully with dependency, the same is true, right? That we, and kind of mm. like you said in your own marriage, like we can depend on one another in certain areas, but we might have something to offer someone else in another area. Mm. Um And so it doesn't have to be this either or dichotomy where there's a giver and a receiver and those lines are very clear. I think the beauty and richness comes actually in that mutuality when we figure out how to serve and love one another well Mm -hmm. mutually. So, and I hope that's something that I think happens more and more in the church. Mm -hmm. And I kind of come back to this idea that you know, what does it mean? Like that whole self-sacrifice piece we were talking about with church. Like I think often there's this like deny yourselves and take up your cross sort of speech, which definitely is something Jesus says. And Mm -hmm. I think it maybe gets taken out of context in different moments, but John Mark Homer, who's an author that 
we both love, as we found yes. out prepping for this session. He says that we're to deny ourselves, not ourselves. And so kind of that idea of like, God created us good. He created our personalities. He created that inner sense of like who we are, our Enneagram number, Myers-Briggs, whatever test you want to use. We were created by him and equipped with all these things. But this idea of what God wants us to say no to is more this sense of hyper-individualism and this idea that we get to spend our time and energy however we want, that we don't have to depend on God or that he gets no say in how we spend all of our lives. So I think that's the kind of dependence that he's looking for is for us to depend on him. Like a posture of dependence, I guess, would be a way to say it. Hmm. Yeah. And so what are your thoughts on the interchange between dependency on God and dependency on others? And I know we've already kind of touched this a bit, but how do those overlap or do they, how do we try to pull those apart or see how they complement each other? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard. And I kind of was hesitant to talk about this topic, I think, because I never ever want to sound trite or Mm. offer those like spiritual cliches. Like, I hope no one hears that I'm just saying this like blank, like God is in control. So just believe in him sort of, you know, I think we have all these spiritual cliches that really don't help people when times are hard, even if they may contain grains of truth. Mm. So I don't want to be trite in any way. But I do think that there is an element of surrender to a God who is the author of all of our stories and who is weaving them together in his grander story of his upside down kingdom, Mm -hmm. as you would like to say in your Mm -hmm. podcast. And I think we have a God who has made us and who ordained our days, but then like, isn't this, deist god who sits back and just like presses play on the remote and watches it play out like we have this god who is actively engaged and involved in our lives and i think understanding that the idea that we're created like we're just not self-made that's such a lie of our current culture that we can make ourselves and fashion ourselves into who we were meant to be like that's just simply, I think, not biblical. Hmm. But I think for me, when I think about the interchange of how does this actually work out in daily life, the idea of dependency on God, it just brings me huge relief. And I think the older I get, maybe the more relief I have, (laughs) which maybe is a good sign that I'm growing in dependency. And uh, I don't know. I think especially like, again, in parenting, you have this little human and they let you leave the hospital with it and it's just wild. (laughs) And it feels like a lot of pressure that it's going to turn out, right? And especially raising a baby in a pandemic, it really feels often very isolating that it's all on you. But I think dependency has taught me, and especially in moments where I have hit the wall of my maximum, that it takes a village I depend on my village. I have great friends. I have mom friends. I have single friends. I have close friends. I have far away friends. Mm -hmm. I have family and I am blessed by that. And I need that. And I want that. And I think that's the thing is like, regardless of season of life, like many of my close girlfriends in this season of motherhood are in fact not parents. And 
you know what? I rely on them and they give me so much energy and so much life because they want to talk about not parenting. <laughs> they also have energy to give to my kids that other moms are tired from their yeah. own kids and they're a blessing and we need each other. Like that village is so critical. I mean, I think current research is really showing that part of what keeps young people in the church more than anything else is seeing other adults and having relationship with adults in their lives who aren't their parents mm. that have a genuine faith experience and have that lived out. And so you think about like, okay, well, we're these people that have faith and we want to raise our children to love Jesus and change the world or whatever. But that's a lot of weight when yeah. you see that. But then when you realize like, actually, I need to depend on other people, which means that I need to be in relationship with other people. And I actually like expect my other people to be living out their faith. So I need mm. to be in relationship with them because I want my kids to see that. I want my kids to see the genuine faith experience of the people that my husband and I like choose to surround ourselves by and who's their friend's parents one day or those kinds of things. So I think just to say that I think that dependency like brings me relief that like I don't have to be the only spiritual input in their life and I really probably shouldn't be that yeah. probably won't actually work mm -hmm. and I think ultimately just relief that I don't have to get it all right I like being right I mean I'll be honest um, <laughs> don't we all <laughs> you know I was a good student in school and Andrew and I did some music stuff mm -hmm. and you know I like achieving things and I definitely know that that's part of how God wired me but the beauty of becoming increasingly dependent on him is just this great humility and recognition that I don't have to get it all right and I can rest in that actually and not be panicked and stressed about it because I'm not the author of the story and I often don't get to see the end of people's stories especially in my work mm -hmm. I might only interact with them really briefly and so I never know where things end up with lots of people but also in my parenting I don't have to get it all right I can apologize to my kids hopefully I can apologize to others because I am dependent on God and so if I can walk around with that humility then hopefully I can more freely offer it to others so I guess to say the interchange is that hopefully if I'm depending on God I'm more freely able to depend on others and mm -hmm. able to more freely express my need for other people. Yeah. And I feel um, like even depending on other people is an act of dependence on God too, because especially like within the church, I pray that if I am able to serve and love someone in practical or emotional, whatever ways that like that is an extension of Christ in me. And so that act of whoever that may be being able to depend on me in something is a trusting of God, hopefully. And so that's the same for when I'm choosing to depend on someone else. God is providing for me through the obedience and the care and the compassion of his people and through his spirit and their sensitivity to my needs. They're intertwined in that. Yeah, I totally agree. It reminds me of a story actually when our daughter was in NICU. I was at the hospital like all day, every day, as long as I really could be mm. there, like 12 hours a day, basically seven days a week. But we decided that we would go to church on Sundays for like the hour or whatever and then come back to the hospital for the evening or that kind of thing just to like have a bit of headspace and have a break and I didn't really want to go because I didn't want to leave the baby but 
we decided as a couple that it would maybe be good for us because we were kind of in this long haul state of not mm. knowing how long things were going to be. And I didn't want to talk to people about it. I just like wasn't ready emotionally. And, and we went and I remember an older lady in church coming up to me and just saying, thank you for being here. The fact that you are here, God has used that in my life this week to see you here. I know what you're going through. And she didn't ask for any details or other than the polite, like, how are things going? But she just said to me, like, the fact that you are here speaks volumes to me and God has used that in my week. And I, that has never left me in terms of like, when people say like, why do we go to church? And I'm like, maybe we go for somebody else and we don't even know. Wow. Yeah. Our faith is such a communal faith and maybe our sheer attendance can hold hope for another person in their life. Maybe we never even get to know that story. Like what if she'd never come up for me, but she'd had her own private experience just from seeing me there, right? Like we don't always get to know, but I think I've seen this in people that have had really serious health crises or like chronic struggles. Like there are seasons that are really dark in all of our lives. Mm -hmm. And I think my grandpa always likes to say, like, if you haven't had a dark season, you just haven't lived long enough. Um, (laughs) Yeah, wisdom there, for sure. (laughs) And so there's always going to be these seasons where we can't see the light, where depending on God becomes difficult because we can't, like, see our hand out in front of us. And I think we have this beautiful communal faith where, like, actually we can hold hope for other people when they Mm -hmm. can't see the light. But that takes vulnerability. And I think that's a piece of the community that we don't take seriously enough. Mm. And that's a biblical idea too. You know, like I think about the paralyzed man whose friends lowered him through a roof and the Mm -hmm. implications of that, that his friends brought him to Jesus on his account. Well, the implication being that Jesus says that it's the faith of the friends that made him well. Exactly. not his faith, right? And I think there's huge implications for that. Yeah. We think of our faith, especially in Western American influenced culture, right? Of like this independent, I believe in Jesus, this such an individual thing where the implications of that passage saying that their faith was what led to his healing. And so that carries for me a comfort in the moments for me when I have not felt like I have been able to carry my own faith and knowing this body around me of people who love Jesus who are carrying me in faith like that makes me emotional just thinking about you know I have faces come to mind who are those people who are interceding on my behalf and who are there upholding my faith and then that's the flip side that like I am that person for others in my life this is why it's so important to be part of a church community to be part of other people pursuing Christ because the faith is something that we share and that it's not individual. My faith interacts with your faith and your faith interacts with mine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what does this choice of dependence on God look like for you on a day-to-day basis? You know, break that down a bit. Yeah. Well, I think it's definitely looked different in different seasons and different scenarios. And I think Sometimes how it looks and how it feels is also different, right? Mm. I can be doing the things but not feeling dependent or feeling like I can depend on God even though I'm doing the things that maybe would be looking like I depend on God, right? So Mm. I think that can be tricky at times. And yet I think overall the biggest growth in myself and I think dependence on God is just a real sense of openness to the work of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing. 
it's like putting on a different set of glasses in the morning is the best way to describe it, right? Like, I don't necessarily feel any different, but I hope that it allows me to see things differently in the scenarios as I go about my day. I mean, ideally, in some form, I ultimately, I hope my dependence on God and on others is going to make me more Christ-like, more humble, more patient and all those things. But I don't know how well we're doing on that some days. <laughs> Another aspect of dependence, trusting that God is doing that somehow. <laughs> yeah. I think it's Eugene Peterson that talks about life is just like a long obedience in the same direction. And I think that's really what I'm trying to go for is just mm. the long obedience of like, I don't think you ever know that you've arrived on those yeah. growth factors. I think for myself, again, it's just incorporating those daily rhythms. I think for myself, I really actually have to sit down and name the things, situations, people that I am depending on God for or depending on God with. For myself, it's slowing down. I'm a pretty, like, speedy person, if you know me. I really like multitasking. Don't tell me it's not a thing. It is a thing, and I do it well. Don't tell my husband. He doesn't believe in multitasking. Um, <laughs> the Psych 101, you know, my university prof, multitasking isn't a thing. I will tell you, as a head injured person, it is not a thing for me, but I've seen it done with others. <laughs> yeah, and so for myself to actually slow myself down and to sit with just myself like no music no nothing to sit in solitude and actually be able to focus on prayer and time with god is often very difficult for me but i also know that it's becoming an increasingly necessary daily mm -hmm. rhythm for me sometimes it's sitting on my couch in the early mornings before my kids are up sometimes it's while i'm on a run sometimes it's in the car right before i walk into work sometimes it's while i'm driving like i said i multitask but i <laughs> try to get it in there yeah i think on a day-to-day -day basis i really think about my dependence on others and i think yeah. of just the absolute rich relationships i have been blessed with i really have the best group of friends scattered all over the world and family and sisters-in-law and cousins and lots of people and i think even dependence on God, like I am a people person and even moving here, I remember just worrying about being so lonely and mm. it's been an act of dependence on God to trust him to provide the people in my life that I have needed in different seasons, whether that's to make me laugh, to encourage me, to challenge me. Yeah, wow. And he has been so faithful and relationships are work. All relationships, even like marriage and your closest friends, like relationships take effort and... Yeah. I think for me, it's just also praying into those relationships that God would speak through those relationships and through me in those relationships. Yeah. I mean, day-to-day parenting-wise, I think biblically good parenting seems to be this combination of like the spirit of grace and truth. I think that's what I'm choosing to try to embody these days <laughs> with my kids. It's trying to both like see them and empathize with them and offer them grace, but also communicating truth. You know, I think the truth and the reality of who they are, who God has made them to be, who he is and how they're to live in the world, but also like really seeing them and getting to know them. I think that's something people don't tell you. Like no one tells you, you actually have to get to know your kids and their little personalities. Huh, yeah. Um, they come pre-made. I can tell you, I got two very different ones that you've <laughs> had to get to know. And so I think also with that, it's just that dependence of trusting on God for their outcomes and, recognizing that ultimately who they grow up to be, that's in God's hands. And so the days that I have with them are a gift, kind of like what I said earlier when God spoke with me to Olivia. Like, I think 
that idea of that my time with them is a gift allows me to be more present with them. That he is the one authoring that story and that I am just the imperfect vessel he's chosen to help shape that story mm-hmm. for the days that he's numbered for both of us. Like, I think that for me, again, just brings that sense of peace that like, you know, I know people talk about their childhood trauma and my husband and I always joke that rather than an RESP, we're just going to make a therapy fund for our kids. Uh- I, for all the ways we're screwing them up. But I do think that ultimately there's a little sense of peace that like, man, these little early days seem like so crucial in all this development, but ultimately like God is authoring Mm. their story and he knows them so well. Yeah. And in my work life, sorry, I feel like I'm just breaking down all the areas. Well, I mean, that was the Um, question. So good for you. (laughs) My life feels very categorized right now. I think it's like I'm either parenting or I'm working or I'm doing the social thing. But Um, they each have different characteristics of the ways in which you depend on God. And that's so valuable to hear. So yeah, please continue. Yeah. I think in my workplace, it's certainly not an easy place at times to work. And I think being in the face of suffering and distress often where there simply are no words or tools or resources to fix, especially in a pandemic, or even to be able to alleviate people's distress Mm -hmm. is really hard. It's hard to feel vulnerable as the nurse that's supposed to fix the situation. And there's often so many parts of people's stories, whether it's because they have a terminal illness or other factors in their life that I couldn't change because they've been around for 40 years before I was or something, you know, like there's so many things about people's lives that I can't change. And I think, again, it's ultimately that recognition that like I'm not in control, but I have the opportunity to do the very best that I can. And I can surrender them to God, even even in a faulty, broken healthcare system. (laughs) Um, And yet God has somehow equipped me and trained me and prepared me for this moment, this exact day, this interaction, like he goes before and knows what I will face this day. And so I think just trusting that we serve a God who chooses to use broken people and broken systems all the time, whether mm-hmm. that be broken people in churches, broken people in institutions and in healthcare. And you know what? I think he equips lots of people to advocate and try to change those systems, but he continues to work and advance his kingdom amidst that brokenness. And he picks the brokenness as his first line option. I always find that so fascinating, like with the church, like this was plan A, like you picked the church. (laughs) This mess is where he chooses to reveal himself. This multi-ethnic, diverse mess is what you picked. Yeah, right. And it's so humbling and powerful, honestly, to think that, that he makes a point in doing that too. And I mean, how many times through scripture does it talk about our weakness being his strength? And I think that itself is dependence, right? It's recognizing that we are empowered by him in our day-to-day lives. That's just a theme throughout all of scripture that in all the different aspects of our life, like you've spoken to, in the uniqueness of how that is actually applied, but the consistency of the truth that you're relying on to apply it. Hmm. So on that, why do you choose to depend on God? I'm just going to ask these questions often. I think that should have been the first question. Yeah, I know, but I kind of want to end there because I feel like so often we can come into conversations, especially as fellow Christians, where we are all on the same page of like talking about the application and kind of forget that 
all of this actually has a root and taking that time to remind us after we agree that it's important to apply it, you know? So that order was intentional, just kind of to leave us on that sense too. So why do you choose to depend on God? And why do you believe that you can trust him? Like, where does that confidence and motivation come from? Root us and ground us in that. Yeah, I mean... It's a question I get faced with, right? Like mm-hmm. when you see people experiencing suffering, the first question I always like, well, how can God or how can you believe in a God who would allow like all those big theodicy questions yeah. we love to play, right? And I think at the end of the day, like, again, we live in a world, especially our Western culture, like postmodern culture that says like the number one thing that is important is your own experience. Like we base everything on experience, right. which isn't necessarily the only thing we should think about. And so then people go, well, I have experienced God to be terrible, so I can't trust him, right? And I think for me, I kind of come back to who is God? Um, And my favorite passage for this is in Exodus 34, verse 6. And it's actually the first time God kind of tells us who he is. It's also like the most quoted passage in the rest of, for sure, the Old Testament, maybe the Bible, I'm not sure. But, like, it's the passage that everybody keeps coming back to, the rest of the Bible, to be like, guys, remember who God is. Mm -hmm. And so, for me, this passage provides such a measuring stick in the context of all the suffering that I witness or that I experience in my own life or that I see my people I love go through that no matter what the circumstances, it doesn't change who God actually is. And... It says Moses is up getting the Ten Commandments. And uh, he says, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And I think it's this idea that God is just so ultimately, like, merciful and gracious. Like, I know in Jewish culture, like, order is really important. And it's like, that's the first thing God wanted us to know about him. Yeah. Like, the very first thing is, like, mercy and grace. I kind of just wish more people, like, understood that, that mm-hmm. that is the God we get to serve and we get to depend on. And also... Just a God who also is a God of justice, who's going to make whole and rectify all the distress that we can't fix. God is going to justify. Like, God's justice system is for sure different than our justice system, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) And I don't know how he's going to do it, and I don't need to understand all of that. And, I mean, Job doesn't really get those answers in his story either. But Mm. even though he gets his life back, his questions don't really get answers. But he really gets a giant bunch of chapters at the end of Job about who God is and what he's done. And so I think I just come back to like that explanation for me, like that's a God I can depend on and that I want to depend on. Mm. That's a kind of person that I want to place my trust in. So yeah, I think that's where for me, what I keep coming back to. Yeah. I love the Job reference because we can connect so much to the loss and the questions and almost the bartering that's happening, all the emotional 
responses to significant loss. And then the fact it almost makes me mad (laughs) in my humanness, but then it's so freeing that the end of that, the answer is just the glory and goodness and majesty of God. You know, like Mm -hmm. it's something that I'm not going to understand, but God is so great that all I need to know is that I can trust him and that he has purposes in this. Yeah. 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 Purposes, like, not in this trite way of, like, God has a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, there's a reason for everything. I don't think there is. I think that God is working to redeem everything. Totally. Yeah. Thank you for emphasizing that. It's true. Because it is so important because it's so easy to kind of speak Christianese or whatever. and But you really mean it. And I think in my own life, like, when I kind of went through my my head injury in the time of just significant need and continue to like I'm not going to say things tritely because I know I know that life can be incredibly painful and that's not actually helping anyone and I know that in your life experience we're going to speak towards God's purposes knowing that there's a lot of pain in even that statement and saying that like I'm still in constant pain like my head is terrible as I speak right now and I'm committing to say that like I'm trusting God's purposes in this right it's not a cheap statement it actually has a great cost but great trust because there's hope and reward and I really believe that you know I really believe that God is good and is redeeming and is working through the brokenness of this world mm-hmm. yeah Well, look at us. We have made it to the show question. So what in the upside down kingdom of God offers the greatest sigh of relief from the up and down reality of culture as it pertains to this topic? I think it's just kind of the opposite of what the world says. It's not like if we just trust our intuition deep inside ourselves, then like it will lead us to the life of greatest happiness in life we crave. Like, I think actually it's our dependence on God and on others that ultimately leads to our greatest joy and our greatest fulfillment. And it's also our greatest opportunity to have our eyes opened to the way he is doing that redemptive work in the world. And then again, like I said, I think dependence on God just offers a huge sigh of relief from the fast track that the rest of the world runs on of having to have it all together all the time in all the ways and all the areas and the you can have it all reality and it just relieves us of that because we don't have to depend on just ourselves to manufacture that so I think to me it brings massive relief from the cultural pressures of the day yeah Mm, so good thank you so much melissa this has just been such a rich conversation and so many important reminders for me personally and i just love that we serve a god who's going to point out different things in this conversation for each person and so i would just love to pray over you melissa and then if you're willing to pray over our listeners before we wrap up sure all right lord i just thank you so much that All of what we just said of who you are is true and that we can rely on your greatness and your goodness amidst pain and suffering and questions that you are dependable because that is your nature. You are merciful and forgiving and gracious. And we just want to praise you first and foremost for that. I pray over Melissa. I thank you so much for the story that you have written and continue to write in her heart. I pray that you would just 
be over her family, her children, her patients, her work in each of these corners of her life that she has explained the ways that she depends on you. I just celebrate that and I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself through each of those aspects of her life, that her dependence on you would be a testimony to who you are. And like as she said, we don't always know where you're working and how you're using that. And so may we depend on you even in that. And so I just pray over her marriage, over dear Olivia and Annalise, that you would just take care of those girls and shape them into women who will be able to trust and depend on you ultimately. And Lord, we just pray over your purposes in Melissa's life. We recognize the difficulty and the pain And we celebrate that she knows you and your goodness and that you have brought her through these moments. And we pray over her church community. We thank you for the friends that you have put around her. And we just ask that she would continue to be able to depend on others and that you would equip those around her to be dependable and that they can, through their weakness, that you can offer Melissa strength in those friendships. So, yeah, we just love you and we praise you. And I just pray that you would continue to grow in Melissa's heart. God, I thank you for this podcast, for Andrea, for this opportunity. And I just want to pray a quick prayer over all who are listening today. God, that they would just know you and know your presence and the mysterious grace that is so steadfast and that you are abounding in love and faithfulness, God, that they would just experience that wherever they are in the coming days, that they would know that in a deeper way. And Lord, that we can depend on you because you are alive and active and working in our world and doing something new. You are making all things new, God, and yet you remain the same and you remain faithful and steadfast to us. Yeah, God, and so wherever people are at, wherever this podcast finds them, God, I pray that you would meet us all and be in the midst of us, God. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we discuss how God's upside-down kingdom reveals itself amidst a culture of exhausting ups and downs. It is our prayer that through this podcast, you know more of Jesus, have grown in love for Jesus, and continue to experience the sigh of relief found only in Him. And I expect every lesson will only reveal the unexpected again.